Joe. Rich. Uh, we're, we're recording a, a, a podcast right now, Joe. I didn't hear the dunk, 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 That would be... Oh, shit. That won't be edited in because I need to use but the other thing to do that. You don't do editing, so... I don't do editing. I'm a lazy yeah. person. I, I'm, I'm all about creative spontaneity or whatever. Yeah, you're you're a one time you're a one take kind of guy. We're not in the car, man. We're doing this over 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 online teams. I know we've got less barriers in the way in terms of me having to dodge traffic, but we're uh, we're not we're not together. We're not holding hands like we normally do. I miss the way you smell. <laughs> what at the end of a work day? I don't know about that. <laughs> I have got. A motherfucking doozy of a mystery for you today. Oh, yeah? I mean, the last one was, you know, for the Trekkies and the people who wear, like, you know, tinfoil hats. What uh, what kind of hats do the people wear who are going to enjoy this one? I mean, this is a full-on mystery. It's a full-on mystery. Sounds hardcore. And um, it's got twists and turns. It's like a movie. I remember when I first heard about this years ago, I was fascinated by this. Um... I've never spoke to you about it as well, so I think I think you're going to be really interested by it. Um, I mean, I'm always, every single mystery you brought, I've been interested in. So I, I hope the listeners are interested. Um, so I'm ready for it, Rich. I'm ready. Lay this mystery on me. Okay, so um, I got a family, Joe. A family. Uh, when did this happen? Is this something you talk about? Not on the podcast? No, no. This is a family. This is. <laughs> they are called the Sodder family. The Sodder family. Mm-hmm. All right. I, I like them already because their name is weird. So they're celebrating Christmas Eve in 1945. The Sodder family. Is their ancestor the, the mystery Sodder machine? <laughs> <laughs> 1945 Christmas. I'm ready. Uh, Marion, the oldest daughter, mm-hmm. had been working at a dime store in downtown Fayetteville. <laughs> I can't even read fucking American names. Jesus. And she surprised three of her younger sisters, Martha, 12, Jenny, 8, and Betty, 5, with new toys she had bought for them as gifts. That's nice. That's lovely. Right? Yes. No no mystery there, just a good person. The younger children were so excited that they asked their mother if they could stay up past what would have been their usual bedtime. Cheeky little fuggers. What do you think mum said on Christmas Eve? I would be like, yeah, it's Christmas, man, come on, stay up, you know, the longer you stay up, the longer you sleep in the morning, so me and the dad can get a rest instead of you waking up at 5am and saying, where's the presents at? There you go. So, at 10pm, Jenny told them that they could stay up a little later, as long as the two oldest boys, who were still awake, 14-year-old Maurice and his nine-year-old brother, Lewis, remember... Maurice. Uh, Lewis, Maurice and Lewis. Yeah, Maurice is a gangster name. Uh, remember to put the cows in and feed the chickens before going to bed themselves. How old are the kids? Uh, 14 and 9. God damn, that's a lot of responsibility for some little kids. I don't think I could put no cows nowhere. We're city boys, mate. We ain't got, we're crap yeah. at everything. City boys God can't damn. do shit. Go on, Maurice and Lewis. Um <laughs> <clears throat> George and the two oldest boys, John, who's 23, and George Jr., who's 16, uh, who had spent the day working with their father, were already asleep. Mm-hmm. So the boys are asleep. The older boys, yeah. After reminding the children... How many boys are there? Uh, I think, I, ha- I can't remember if there's like ten, five children. I don't know, there's quite a lot of children. All right. There's, there's three girls and two boys that I know of. No, there's four boys that we know of, oh. and... Was that three girls? So seven. Wasn't there a fourth girl? I feel like there's eight now. This I don't is know. before birth control is what you're telling me. I yeah, man. It. They're like an Irish family. After yeah. after reminding the children of those remaining chores, she took Sylvia, who was two, upstairs with her, and they went to bed. God damn, I feel like I need a family tree for this one. I can't, <laughs> I'm not going to keep track of this. But okay, they've gone to bed. I'm with it. You'll hear their names a lot in the next like, kind of thing. So, at 12.30am, the telephone rang. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So it's technically Christmas now. Yeah. Ring, 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 ring. So Jenny woke and she went downstairs to answer it. I love the uh, lovely bit of production we just had in there for that telephone ring. The caller was a woman whose voice oh. she did not recognise. 
asking for a name she was not familiar with. Okay, yeah, I'm with you. With the sound of laughter <laughs> and clinking glasses in the background. Uh-huh. Some, some, some drunkard on Christmas. Jenny told the caller she had reached the wrong number, later recalling the woman's weird laugh. She hung up and returned to bed. This sounds like a horror movie, man. <laughs> like, nothing bad has even happened yet other than a, a wrong call, but I'm like, oh, I'm getting some eerie feeling from something terrible is going to happen. As she did, she noticed that the lights were still on and the curtains were not drawn. Two things the children normally attended to when they stayed up later than their parents. Mm-hmm. Marion had fallen asleep on the living room couch, so Jenny assumed the other children who had stayed up later had gone back up to the attic where they slept. She closed the curtains, turned out the lights, and returned to bed. Mm-hmm. She's very, 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 um, uh, she's, good. she's a good kid, this one. She's good. I don't know if this is a kid or the mum. Isn't Jenny the mum? Oh, I can't remember. <laughs> so I said I need family tree on this one. Yeah, your names are going to be terrible. No, I don't think she's the mum because it was saying that's what the, the kids do when they stay up later than the parents, meaning that the parents must have gone and so it's, it's something a kid would have done. Uh-huh. I, I no, don't know, actually. I might be chatting shit. You're chatting shit. Someone Jack... close the curtains and turn the lights out. So at 1am, we're at 1am now. Uh-huh. Jenny was again awakened. This time, by the sound of an object hitting the house's roof. With a loud bang, then a rolling noise. Okay, yep. After hearing nothing further, she went back to sleep. Fuck it, it's Christmas. Who gives a shit? She'd been hitting the eggnog. What would you do if that happened? Would you get up? Would you go look? So, I've had the phone call at 12.30 in the morning. Someone calling, I'm looking for this person, and they sound weird. Um, Obviously, this is the day, now we have mobiles. Back then, they had landlines. If someone called my mobile, I think this is really freaky because the landline, maybe not too much. Um, and then half an hour later at 1am, I'm hearing something bang on the roof and then sort of roll off of it. No, I, I, I would investigate, yeah. I wouldn't be able to let that slide. Okay. Or I wouldn't let that roll. So, uh, after another half hour, so it must be about, what, 1.30 now? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She woke up again. Yep. This time, smelling smoke. All right. When she got up again, she... Santa's got stuck in the chimney, that's why. (laughs) She found that the room George used for his office was on fire. I guess Jenny is the mum and George is the dad then. Yeah. All right. Around the telephone line and the fuse box. All on fire. Around the telephone line. Okay. Yeah, there's a fire. There's a fire in the... um... The, the Sodder house. Jenny woke him, uh, George, up, and in turn, he woke his eldest sons up. Two eldest yep. sons. The ones who handled the cows. Both parents and four of their children, Marion, Sylvia, John, and George Jr., escaped the house. Right. They're not the people who wrangled the cows. Lewis and Maurice are the people who wrangled the cows, which makes me think they're missing. They've been eaten by cows. Let's see what happens next. So they frantically yelled uh, to the children upstairs, but heard no response. God damn, they left the house without... So they was like, let's get out and just shout at the ones in the attic. They could not have got up there, as the stairway itself was already aflame. God damn. John said in his first police interview after the fire that he went up to the attic to alert his siblings sleeping there, uh, though the, he later changed his stories to say that he only called up there and did not actually see them. Uh-huh. Efforts to find aid and rescue the children were unexpectedly complicated. Mm-hmm. The phone did not work. So I know. These parents are just like, we've got enough children. We don't need to risk our lives for two more. We've got like seven others. So Mary- It's still on burning like a fiery like hellhole. It's all right. We've got loads left of kids to like wrangle the cows and close the curtains. So, so Marion ran to a neighbour's house to call the Fayetteville, whatever it's called, fire department. Yeah. A drive on the nearby road uh, had also seen the flames and called um, from a nearby tavern. They too were unsuccessful, either because they could not reach the operator or because the phone there turned out to be broken. Mm, I was going to say it's a good citizen. 
Ivar, the neighbour of the passing motorists, were eventually successful in reaching the fire department from another phone in the centre of town. So this is delaying things massively. Right, okay. So they're like, they're like extra crispy bacon by now. George Barefoot climbed the house outside wall and broke open an attic window, cutting his arm in the process. Go on, George. That's, well, that's how you care for your children. He and his sons intended to use a ladder to the attic to rescue the other children, but it was not in its usual spot resting against the house and could not be found anywhere nearby. Mm. So he, he climbed the house? Yep. Because he couldn't find a ladder? Yeah, he couldn't get a ladder to do, do anything else. So, but he climbed it, which should be enough? I don't know. Uh, a, water, right. a water barrel that could have been used to extinguish the fire was frozen solid. Alright. Jules then tried to it is Christmas. Jules then tried to pull both of the trucks he used in his business up to the house and use them to climb to the attic window. But neither, okay, so he couldn't reach. He tried climbing, but he yeah. couldn't get so far. But neither of them would uh, start, despite having worked perfectly during the previous day. Lots of things going wrong. Bookie. Frustrated, the six sodders who had escaped had no choice but to watch the house burn down and collapse over the next forty-five minutes. God damn, not knowing if your kids are in there. Oh my god, that is horrific. They assumed the other five children had perished in the blaze. Mm. <laughs> so, there's five, so they escaped with four kids and there's five, they've got nine children. Yeah, man. These are some serious, like, Catholic people or something. I mean, my mum's got like 12 brothers or sisters or whatever. Bad hell. Maybe people just love people more than I do. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe, bro. But that to me is too many people. So, um, blah, blah, blah. The fire department, low on manpower due to the war and relying on individual firefighters to call each other, did not respond until later that morning. Uh. Chief F.J. Morris said the next day that the already slow response... I've arrived to put out the <laughs> smouldering remains of your house and your family. <laughs> Point me to them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've only bought a water pistol because by now they're all gone. Uh, well, he was further hampered by his inability to drive the fire truck, requiring that he wait until someone who could drive was available. Uh, I thought he meant like he's, he's drunk, he's pissed. Maybe. He didn't know how to drive it. The firefighters, one of whom was a brother of Jenny's, could do little but look through the ashes that were left in the sodder's basement. Yeah, that's what I said. By the time they showed up, all that was left was crumbled ruins. By 10am... Morris told the Sodders that they had not found any bones, as might have been expected if the other children had been in the house as it burned. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's good, I guess. That's good. There's no bones. Cool. Or, worse, these children were boneless. <laughs> According to another account, they did find a few bone fragments and internal organs, but chose not to tell the family. Oh, so what the fuck is going on here? Well, we don't know if that one's true. Right. It has also been noted by modern fire professionals that their search was cursory at best. wasn't very good, apparently. Nevertheless, yeah, well, yeah, they showed up when it had all finished. <laughs> no. It's like me showing up to the war and being like, "Right, where are the Germans at?" And the Berlin Wall's already come down. Nevertheless, Morris yeah, believed nevertheless. that the five children unaccounted for had died in the fire, suggesting it had been hot enough to burn their bodies completely. I mean. He's like the fire chief, and he don't even know how fire works with bones and shit. I'm pretty sure I've seen making a murderer, and bones don't get done by fire. <laughs> that's, that's your go. This fire chief, one, he don't know how fire interacts with human bodies, <laughs> and he don't even know how to drive a fire truck. What kind of fire chief is this? It was during the war, man. They were... Oh, I feel you. He was the backup. Yeah, man. He was the backup fire chief. Well, like Dad's I mean, army. That sounds like he should be the backup. I don't know. He should be the backup guy who washes the firefighters' uniforms and then nothing more. That's what he should be. So, <laughs> Morris told George, the father, to leave the site undisturbed so that the state fire marshal's office could conduct a more thorough investigation. People who might know what they're doing, yeah. However... After four days, George and his wife could not bear the sight anymore, so he bulldozed five feet of dirt over the site 
with the intention of converting it to a memorial garden for the lost children. Oh, God damn. I can understand his pain. He thinks he's like five, half of his like 1,000 children in there and they're dead. So he's like, I can't, like, you know, I can't bear it anymore. I can understand that completely. So he wants to like just kind of um, not look at the smouldering mess that was their bodies and like turn into something pretty, but the investigation is now fucked because of it. Mm hmm. I know, Rich. What would you do? Would you have bulldozed it or would you have waited? Of course I fucking would have waited. I would have wanted answers. That's right. This George guy, maybe he didn't want answers. Maybe he thought he had all the answers. There's all maybes here. Continue. The local coroner convened uh, an inquest the next day, which held that the fire was an accident caused by faulty wiring. Mm. Among the jurors was the man who had threatened George that his house would be burnt down and his children destroyed in retribution for his anti-Mussolini remarks, uh, like, weeks or whatever before. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> let's, let's look things up here. Something, something's happening. So one of the jurors, he's saying, oh, your house gone burned down because you're chatting shit about Mussolini. And what are you saying about the children? They'll be destroyed. Uh, yeah, his children destroyed in retribution. I mean, that's 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 one sick individual or someone who just really, really passionately loves a Mussolini. Okay, so we're going to do a backstory in a minute of George. We're going to go through George's backstory. Yeah, I think it might be necessary. So uh, death certificates for the five children were issued December the 30th. The mm-hmm. local newspaper contradicted itself, states, uh, stating that all the bodies have been found. But then later in the same story reporting that only part of one body was uh, recovered. I mean, it's good to know that newspaper journalism hasn't really improved in the last 100 years. It's still about the same. George and Jenny were too grief-stricken to attend the funeral on January 2nd, 1946, although their surviving children did. Mm-hmm. Right, hold on. We need to go back to George's backstory and a few... Let us give you. Let me give you the Sodder family backstory. Tell me about these Sodders. So, George Sodder was born uh, with the name uh, Giorgio Sodu in Tula, Sardinia, Italy in 1895. Uh-huh. He immigrated to the United States 13 years later with an older brother who went back home as soon as both boys had cleared customs at Ellis Island. Uh, for the rest of his life, George, as he came to be known, would not talk much about why he had left his homeland. I mean, instantly I'm thinking like the mafia and gangsters because that's where they come from. <laughs> Sodder eventually found work on the railroads in Pennsylvania, carrying water and other supplies to workers after a few years. He took more permanent work as a drive-in Smithers, uh, West Virginia. He then started his own trucking company, initially hauling field dirt to construction sites and later hauling coal mined in the region. Jenny Cipriani, a storekeeper's daughter in Smithers, who had also immigrated from Italy in her childhood, became George's wife. So that is the most Italian name I've ever heard, that lady. <laughs> so, like she's like right out of the Godfather or something. The Sodders settled outside nearby Fayetteville, uh, which had a large population of Italian immigrants, in a two-storey timber frame house two miles north of town. In 1923, they had the first of their ten children, Joe. Good Lord. George's business prospered. The Sodders like to fuck! And they become one of the most respected middle-class families around, in the words of one local official. However, George had strong opinions about, (laughs) about many subjects. And was not shy about expressing them, sometimes alienating people. In particular, his strident opposition to Italian dictator Benito Mussolini had led to some strong arguments with other members of the immigrant community. Okay. Okay, I'm with it, I'm with it. It's building a picture now. He's like, like it's like being an anti-Semitic Jew, almost. The last of the Sodder children, Sylvia, was born in 1943. By then, their second oldest son, Joe had left home hey. to serve in the military during World War II. The following year, Mussolini was uh, deposed and executed. However, George's criticism of the late dictator had left some hard feelings. In October 1945, a visiting life insurance salesman, uh, after being rebuffed, warned George that his house would go, lo- go up in smoke and your children are going to be destroyed Attributing this all to the dirty remarks you have been making about Mussolini. Okay, so when like this person originally said that statement, I was like, they might have been some sort of electrician who said, like, this wiring is not good, you need to get it fixed. 
But no, 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 no. He had no expertise in any of that. He was just trying to sell the man insurance, and because he wouldn't buy it, he's like, you know what? I'm not buying my insurance. I'm, I'm just going to tell you now. You should burn because you didn't get this insurance. And, and um, no, no, no. The reason they're going to burn to death is because of the terrible things you said about Mussolini. <laughs> Uh, you won't have insurance to uh, recover the, 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 the perished deaths and memories of your children. That's why you should have taken insurance. Okay, so this, this is a clear picture now. I'm going to straight away call this, um, what do they call it? Arson. Okay. It's like, I know I'm jumping to conclusions, but this man's come threatening. That's like me saying, Rich, uh, your favourite football player? I don't like him. He's a prick. And then you like wanting to burn my house down. Another visitor to the house, uh, ostensibly seeking work, took the occasion to go around to the back and warn George that a pair of fuse boxes would cause a fire someday. Okay, so who, so who was that, sorry? Uh, another one trying to find work. Like, just okay, someone right, right. trying to get him to buy some work, because he's middle class and he's got money. Right, right, right. George was puzzled by the observation, since he had just had the house rewired when an electric stove was installed, and the local electric company had said afterwards it was safe. In the weeks before Christmas that year, George's older sons had also noticed a strange car parked along the main highway uh, through town. Mm-hmm. Its occupants watching the younger sod of children as they returned from school. Little creeps. So they're not just arsonists, they're pedos as well. <laughs> so, we've got the backstory, we've got what happened. Yeah, so George, you know, he's very outspoken about an Italian dictator and in a negative way, and I guess other sort of people who were immigrated from Italy did not like that. Here we go. Not long afterward, as they began to rebuild their lives, the Soda family started to question all the official findings about the fire. They wondered why, if it had been caused by an electrical problem, the family's Christmas lights had remained on throughout the fire's early stages, when mm-hmm. the power should have gone out. Then, they found the ladder that had been missing from the side of the house on the night of the fire at the bottom of an embankment 75 feet away. A telephone repairman told the Sodders that the house's phone line had not been burned through in the fire, as they had initially thought, but cut by someone who had been willing and able to climb 14 feet up the (coughs) pole and reach 2 feet away from it to do so. Right, okay. So yeah, this is uh, getting very suspicious. (laughs) A man whom neighbours had been had seen stealing a block and tackle from the property around this time of the fire was identified and arrested. He admitted to the theft and claimed he had been one of uh, he had been the one who cut the phone line, thinking it was a power line, but denied having anything to do with the fire. However, no record identifying the suspect exists and why he uh, and why he would have wanted to cut any utility lines to the Sodders house while stealing the block and tackle which is unrelated, has never been explained. What the fuck is a block and a tackle? I'm because not, I know a tackle. Yeah, I'm not sure, dude. <laughs> He's tossed on his block and dick. Jo- Jenny said in 1968 that if he had cut the power line, she and her husband, along with their other four children, would never have been able to make it out of the house. Jenny also had trouble accepting Morris's belief that all the traces of the children's body had been burned completely in the fire. Well done, Jenny. You're smart, Jenny. Many of the household appliances have been found, still recognisable in the ash, along with fragments of the tin roof. See, she contrasted the results of the fire with a newspaper account of a similar house fire that she read around the same time that killed a family of seven. Skeletal Whoa. remains of all victims were reported to have been found in that case. Exactly, this chief dude, he, 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 he's, he's no good. Jenny burned small piles of animal bones to see if they would be completely consumed. None... Man. <laughs> he sounds like Chief Wiggum from The Simpsons, this guy. None ever wore. So Jenny's doing her own fucking experiments now. None ever yeah. wore. An employee of a local crematorium she contacted told her that human bones remain even after bodies are burned at 2,000 Fahrenheit, which is 1,090 Celsius, for two hours, far longer and hotter than the house fire could have yeah. been. So there should be bones if the children was there. The Sodders truck's failure to start was also considered. George believed that they had been tampered with, perhaps by the same man who stole the block and tackle and cut the yeah, phone line. The line yeah. However, one of George's son-in-laws, told, son-in-laws, sons-in-law, told the Charleston Gazette Mail in 2013 that he had come to believe that Sodder and his sons might have, in their haste, 
to start the trucks flooded the engines. That, I don't think they could have. I mean, they would have had to really like do that a lot to flood the engine. Mm, I don't know. Mm. And the guy who cut the wire, I was expecting it to be the guy who you know came with the insurance story and saying you're going to burn down, but it's not him, I guess. Mm. Some accounts have suggested the wrong number phone call to the Soda House might have also somehow been connected to the fire. Mm. However, investigators later located the woman who had made the call. She confirmed it had been a wrong number on her part. How did they locate her? But how did they get so many... How are there so many coincidences or so many so odd many things? things at the same night. Do you know what I mean? I mean, the sound on the roof and then rolling off could have been a human being. <laughs> Who like went onto the roof to start this fire mm-hmm. or do whatever shit they needed to do? It could have been this person know. cutting that fire, that phone line. Maybe they went up their roof to cut. Yeah, they could have been doing that as well. But the question still remains: Where the fuck are the kids? Mm-hmm. I mean, they went out to sort the cows out and they never came back, or they did come back. We don't know. I don't know, man. Where the fuck are they? This is a yeah. This is a for real mystery. So as spring approached, the sodders, as they had said they would, planted flowers in the soil, bulldozed over the house. Mm-hmm. Jenny tended it carefully for the rest of her life. I just uh, imagine like a, a pet cemetery thing start happening now. How, <laughs> however, further developments in the early 1946 reinforced the family's belief that the children they were memorising might in fact be alive somewhere. Mm-hmm. Evidence soon emerged indicating that the fire had not started in the electrical fault and was instead set deliberately. The driver of a bus that passed through Fayetteville late Christmas Eve said he had seen some people throwing balls of fire at the house. <laughs> so, let me get this right. Neighbours who just saw fire called the police, but the guy driving the bus, <laughs> the bus was like, nah. throwing fireballs and just like, Meh. Yeah, I'm busy, I'm working. <laughs> Not on my time. Um, A few months later, when the snow had melted, Sylvia found a small, hard, dark green rubber ball-like object in the brush nearby. Like a tennis ball. George, recalling his wife's account of a loud thump on the roof before the fire, said it looked like a pineapple bomb, which is a hand grenade or some other incendiary device used in combat. Bombs are bitches. The family later claimed that, contrary to the fire marshal's conclusion, the fire had started on the roof. Although, by then, there was no way to prove it. Mm. I mean, yeah, it could have. I mean, they could have thrown that fire projectile thing, the pineapple bomb, which is the cutest name for a bomb I've ever heard, by the way, um, on the roof and started it. And then somehow it got through to, like, the office area, and that's why she thought it, because she thought it started there, because how would she know it started on the roof? She can't see the roof. Mm. Yeah. Other witnesses claim to have seen the missing sort of children themselves. One woman, who had been watching the fire from the road, said she had seen some of them peering out of a passing car while the house was burning. God damn, so their theory that these people not only were so malicious and resentful, they came to burn down their house and took their children. This is this is what I'm, this is what some this of these people like, are saying. This is like some superhero super villain shit level <laughs> mastery of fuckery. Listen, don't fuck with uh, people who love miscellaneous is what I'm like. Uh, clearly, yeah, man. <laughs> Another woman at a rest stop between Fairfield and Charleston said she had served them breakfast the next morning. She's saying she served the kids breakfast the next morning. Okay. And noted the presence of a car with Florida license plates in the rest stop's parking lot as well. So is she serving the kids by themselves or is there people with them? Come on, lady, be more... Descriptive. There's definitely people with them if there's a Florida license plate. I mean, little kids don't run around with money in their pockets to buy shit either. No, no, no. The Sodders hired a private investigator named C.C. Tinsley from the nearby town of Gourlay Bridge to look into the case. Tinsley informed the family that the insurance salesman who had threatened George over his anti-Mussolini sentiments had been on the coroner's jury that ruled the fire an accident. That's suspicious as fuck. That's crazy. That's how... How, what do they call it, a, uh, a conflict of interest obviously didn't exist back then. They didn't, did George not say, look, that dude come to my house recently and told me everyone's going to burn alive in my house. Um, can we like have a look at him or something? Or maybe they were just like, don't be silly, he's on the jury. I don't know, that's crazy. That is batshit crazy out of this world that no one paid that any attention. He also learned of rumours around Fairfield that despite his report, to the sodders that no remains had been found in the ashes, 
Morris had found a heart which he later packed into a metal box and secretly buried. <laughs> what kind of madness is that? Man don't even know how to drive a truck or how to put out a fire, but he can recognise a human heart in like all the smouldering ashes. And not only can he recognise this heart, but he took it upon himself to say, I know, I'll put this in a box and bury it. <laughs> this man's out of his goddamn mind. He's fit to mop the floors in the fire station. All right, hold on, hold on, there's more, Joe, there's more. Uh, Morris had apparently confessed this to a local minister. Who, yeah, he who... buried the heart and hoped it would grow a new child. That's how <laughs> stupid this man is. Hold on, who in turn confirmed it to George. George and Tinsley went to Morris and confronted him with the news. <laughs> Yeah. Morris agreed to show the two where he had buried the metal box and they dug it up. They... So how you approached that dude? Uh, so this is awkward, but I heard you buried my son's heart. Can I come down and have a look at They took what they found inside the box to a local funeral director who, after examining it, told them it was, in reality, actually fresh beef liver. I mean, I knew it wasn't the boy's heart from the start. I don't know why I was expecting that to happen, but I knew it wasn't his heart. But, oh my God, the level of stupidity here. Oh my God, I hope he's like, I don't know, his, his offspring. He didn't reproduce is what I'm saying. Uh, that they had uh, never been, ex uh, this had never been exposed to the fire. Uh, later, more rumours circulated around Fayettefield that Morris had afterwards admitted the box with the liver had, was, had indeed not come from the fire originally. He had supposedly placed it there in the hope that the sodders would find it and be satisfied that the missing children had indeed died oh in the fire. Oh, my God. Put this man in jail. <laughs> it's fucked, isn't it? He's, he's not just interfering with their lives and their feelings and all that. He's interfering with, like, potentially criminal investigation and tampering with evidence and, like, I just want these lies to accept that their children are dead. So I'm going to place a bit of beef liver there and say, hey, that's, that's, that's the heart. And because someone will one day find out it's not a heart, I need to bury it. That is out of off the charts mental. I mean, this is what I mean. The whole case is fucking mental. Like everything. I mean, that man, I've, I've criticised him from the start. He, like he's he work at a fire station. He don't know how to drive the fire truck, and he's talking about bodies are evaporated with like to dust with fire. And oh my god, this this man. Oh my god, I, I, this these Fayetteville <laughs> people. They did not have a deep roster of talented and quality people to take over jobs where the army people went. Like, this guy sounds like the village idiot. <laughs> He's Chief Wiggum from The Simpsons. That's what he is. So, hold on. I hope that Matt George is like, bang in your face. So, hold on, hold on. Um, George did not wait for reports of sightings to come in. Sometimes he made them himself. Uh, on one occasion, George saw a magazine photo of a group of young ballet dancers in New York City one of whom looked like his missing daughter, Betty. He drove all the way to the girls' school where his repeated demands to see the girl himself were refused. Oh, that's sad, man. Yeah, it's very sad. George also tried to um, interest the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, in investigating what he considered a kidnapping. Yeah, yeah, big time. FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover uh, personally responded to his letters. Although I would like to be of service... <laughs> the matter related appears to be of local character and does not come within the investigative jurisdiction of this bureau. Yeah, I'll translate that for anyone listening. I'm too fucking busy for this. <laughs> Fuck off. The local matter. If the local authorities requested the bureau's assistance, he added, he would have called direct agents to assist, but the Fairfield Police and Fire Departments declined to do so. In... <laughs> August 1949, George was able to persuade Oscar Hunter, a Washington, D.C. pathologist, to supervise a new search through the dirt at the house site. After a very thorough search, artefacts including a dictionary that had belonged to the children and some coins were found. Several small bone fragments were unearthed, determined to have been human vertebrae. The bone fragments were sent to Marshall T. Newman, a specialist at the Smithsonian Institution. They were confirmed to be lumbar vertebrae, all from the same person. Okay. So potentially one person could have evaporated into dust in this fire, but mm. there's still more left. Uh, hold on, I've got to do a geeky voice because he's a scientist-like dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Since the transverse recesses of his, <laughs> the age of this individual at death should have been 16 or 17 years. 
The top limit of age should be about 22, since Sentra, which normally fuse at 23, are still unfused. <laughs> Last, given this age range, it was not very likely that these bones were from any of the five missing children, yeah. since the oldest, Maurice, had been 14 at the time, although the report allowed that vertebra of a boy his age sometimes were advanced enough to appear to be at the low end of the range. It's unlikely, though, so I'm going to say it's not Maurice. It's just something from time ago. Newman added that the bone showed no sign of exposure to flame. Uh, there you go. Further, he agreed that it was very strange that those bones were the only ones found, since a wood fire of such short duration should have left four skeletons of all the children That's behind. what I'm saying, like, it couldn't have been none of the kids, because they found a dictionary. It didn't burn a dictionary, but it burned everything, except that, yeah, that's bones from some other time. And we ain't got time for another mystery, because this is a humdinger. The report <laughs> concluded that the vertebrae had instead most likely come from the dirt that George had used to bulldoze the site. There we go. Later, Tinsley suppo uh, supposedly confirmed that the bone fragments had come from a cemetery in nearby Mount Hope, but could not explain why they had been taken from there or how they'd come to be at the fire site. That's a whole other mystery. <laughs> yeah, I don't care about that right now. <laughs> you stick to the facts. The Smithsonian returned the bone fragments to George in September 1949. According to its records, their current location is unknown. The investigation and the investigation and its findings down the toilet. attracted national attention, and the West Virginia uh, legislature held two hearings on the case in 1950. Afterwards, however, Governor Oki L. Patterson and State Police Superintendent W. E. Burchett told the Sodders the case was hopeless and closed it at state level. The FBI decided it had jurisdiction, uh, jurisdiction at a, as a possible interstate kidnapping, but dropped the case after two years of following fruitless leads. Could the FBI not have gone and checked that girl's school? I'm sure they could have done a lot of things if they wanted to, but they just didn't give it. It does seem like there's a lot of, ah, uh, can't be bothered sort of thing, or like, ah, that's not my job. A lot of that going on. And a lot of idiots working at fire departments. Um, with the end of official reports, efforts to resolve the case, we, uh, the sort of family did not give up hope, Joe. They didn't give up. Yeah, mad respect to these families for like, you know, the mum is burning little animals alive so she can find that bones perishing fire and the man is driving all the way to schools willing to look like an absolute lunatic just to find out if this kid is his. Respect to them, man. Uh, they had flyers printed up with pictures of the children offering a $5,000 reward, which soon doubled. Um, that for was our money back then. Yeah, for information that would have settled the case for even one of them, just one of the kids. In 1952, they put up a billboard at the site of the house and another along US Route 16 near Anstead with the same information. It would in time become a landmark for traffic through Fairfield on US Route 19. Um, today it's State Route 16. Uh, the family's efforts soon brought another reported sighting of the children after the fire. Ida Crutchfield, a woman who ran a Charleston hotel, claimed to have seen the children approximately a week afterwards. I do not remember the exact date, she said in a statement. The children had come in around midnight with two men and two women, all of whom appeared to her to be of Italian extraction. Did she mention that their bums were sore? They were holding their asses or anything like these kids. <laughs> when she attempted to speak with the children, one of the men looked at me in a hostile manner. <laughs> he turned around and began talking rapidly in Italian. Immediately, the whole party stopped talking to me. She recalled that uh, they left the hotel early the next morning. Investigators today do not, however, consider her story credible as she, had, as she had only first seen photos of the children two years after the fire five yeah. years before she came forward yeah i guess so i mean if i'd seen someone in my hotel and in two years i saw a picture i know i'm going to connect those faces that yeah she could be the mental george followed up leads in person traveling to the areas from where tips had come a woman from st louis uh missouri missouri uh, claimed Martha was being held in a convent there. A mm. bar patron in Texas claimed to have overheard two other people making incriminating statements about a fire that had happened on Christmas Eve in West Virginia some years before. None of those proved significant. When George heard later that a relative of Jenny's in Florida had children that looked similar to this, uh, the relative had to prove the children were his own before George was satisfied. 
Wow. I mean, this is just scattershot. People everywhere are saying they heard something, they know something, or they've yeah, seen something. It doesn't help. You don't know if it's credible or not. You have to check it out. You just, you're just a wild fucking goose chase. I mean, crazy people say crazy things as well. It's very easy yeah. for people just to chat shit. Yeah, like, you, you hear, like, you know, oh, this happened, this happened, and you just suddenly decide, you know, well, I think it happened to me as well. People are crazy. In 1967, so we're going, we're going years away now, uh, George went to the Houston area to investigate another tip. A woman there had written to the family saying that Lewis had revealed his true identity to her one night after having too much to drink. She believed that he and Maurice were both living in Texas somewhere. However... George and his son-in-law, Grover Paxton, were unable to speak with her. Police there were able to help them find the two men she had indicated, but they denied being the missing sons. Well, exactly. I'm thinking, why would they not be like, yeah, I want to get back to my mum and dad? That's a big thing, yeah. Yeah. Because they're of of ages, like, especially the 14-year-old, is of an age where they're going to remember their whole past. They're not going to forget it. They're not that young. Even a nine-year-old, they're going to be like, yeah, this is my dad. Yep. And so now I'm just, this is two options. One, it is the kids, but the dad was a horrible, abusive man, and that's I don't want to go back. But that seems very unlikely since he's spending 20 years looking for them. Or two, it just ain't the kids. So um, Paxton said years later that doubts about that denial lingered in George's mind for the rest of his life. Uh, Another letter that they received that year brought the Sodders what they believed was the most credible evidence that at least Lewis was still alive. One day, Jenny found in the mail a letter addressed to her, postmarked in Central City, Kentucky, with no return address. Inside was a picture of a young man of around 30 with features strongly resembling Lewis's, who would have been in his 30s if he had survived. On the back was written Lewis Sodder, I love brother Frankie, Lil Boys, A90132 or 35. Sounds like they started a rap group. The family hired another private detective to go to Central City and look into the the missive, but he never reported back to the Sodders, and they were unable to locate him afterwards. (laughs) Another private private investigator who went to investigate was never seen again. Yeah. These kidnappers must be some (laughs) fuckers. They kidnapped a private investigator as well, possibly. Or that was just a scam artist running away with their money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The picture, nonetheless, gave them hope. They added it to the billboard, leaving Central City out of it and any other published information out of fear that Lewis might come to harm and put an enlargement of it uh, over their fireplace. George admitted to the Charleston Gazette Mail late the next year the lack of information had been like hitting a rock wall. We can't go any further. He nevertheless vowed to continue. Time is running out for us. He admitted in another interview around that time, but... We only want to know if they did die in the fire. We want to be convinced. Otherwise, we want to know what happened to them. It's super sad, man. I know it is, isn't it? Yeah, and it's, wow, it is a big time mystery. George Sodder died in 1969. Jenny and her surviving children, except John, who never talked about the night of the fire, except to say that the, f- the family should accept what happened and move on with their lives, mm. continued to seek answers to their questions about the missing children's fate. After George's death, Jenny stayed in the family home, putting up fencing around it and adding additional rooms. For the rest of her life, she wore black in mourning and tended the garden at the site of the former house. After her death in 1989, the family finally took the weathered-worn billboard down. The surviving Sodder children, joined by their own children, continued to publicise the case and investigate leads. They, along with older Fayetteville residents, have theorised that the Sicilian Mafia were trying to extort money from George and the children may have been taken by someone who knew about the planned arson and said they would be safe if they left the house. They were possibly taken back to Italy. If the children had survived all those years and were aware of their parents and siblings had survived too, the family believes they may have avoided contact in order to keep them from harm. That's a good theory. I like that theory. Yeah? Yeah. Sylvia Sodder Paxton, the youngest of the surviving Sodder siblings, died in 2021. That's just last year. Mm. Uh, She was in the house on the night of the fire, which she said was her earliest memory. I was the last one of the kids to leave home, she recalled to the Gazette Mail in 2013. She and her father often stayed up late talking about what might have happened. I experienced their grief for a long time. She believed that her siblings survived that night 
and assisted with efforts to find them uh, and publicise the case. Her daughter said in 2006, she promised my grandparents she wouldn't let the story die, that she would do everything she could. In the 21st century, the family's efforts have come to include online forums, like websleuths.com. You would love websleuths, dude. Um, In addition to media coverage, the increase in the latter has led uh, some who have examined the case to believe that the children did in fact die in 1945. George Bragg, a local author who wrote about the case in his 2012 book, West Virginia's Unsolved Murders, believes that John was telling the truth in his original account when he said he tried to physically awaken his siblings before fleeing the house. He allows that the conclusion may still not be correct. Logic logic tells you they probably did burn up in the fire, but you can't always go by logic. Uh, Stacey Horn, who did a segment on the case for National Public Radio around its 60th anniversary in 2005, also believes the children's death in the fire is the most plausible solution. In a contemporaneous uh, post on her blog with material she had, she had to cut from her story for time, she noted that the fire had continued to smoulder all night after the house collapsed and that two hours was not enough time to search the ash thoroughly. Even if it had been, the firefighters may not have known what to look for. However, she said, there is enough genuine weirdness about this whole thing that if someday it is learned that the children did not die in the fire... I won't be shocked. In 2022, the History Channel aired an episode of the series History Greatest Mysteries that detailed the events of the case. That is everything I've got for you, bruv. Oh, damn. This is a crazy mystery. I mean, that that last lady, she was making some good, logical, sensical points. That it's logical, that's how they died, and there just wasn't enough time to search the ruins for their body parts and their bones, but I don't know. I don't know. Sounds... I mean, one dude saying, look, you, you know, your house going to burn down, your, your children going to be destroyed. That could have just been a massive coincidence, or he could have been, like, some seriously mentally ill person who then came back and did some shit. The whole Sicilian Matthew thing, I said that even before it was mentioned as a possibility, but maybe I'm being, maybe I'm just uh, romanticising the story and trying to tell it, make it sexier than it is. The family had a lot of money, I know that. I don't know, man. I mean, yeah, I, I, I do like the uh, Italian Mafia theory. Um, it's, nice, it's nice to possibly imagine that the children survived and lived. Yeah, I mean, burning alive is probably one of the worst ways to die. <laughs> I, I do find it like, how is there no bones? I'm sorry, but how is there no bones? That's too too weird. Really? All these people She's saying, the, all maybe these people are saying surely they burnt in the fire. It's like, okay, so you're saying surely they burnt in the fire. If that's the case, then why is there no proof of that? Like they said, if you got dictionaries and certain other things have survived, but yeah. there's no bones at all for five people. Five, yeah, five lots of bone, people bones, and they're probably all, like, in the same room. It's going to be, like, in the... Yeah, you, you, you've reconvinced me to thinking that that woman's logical arguments are bullshit. I think, I, yeah, I think they're alive somewhere else. I mean, the whole fact that the ladder thing was, like, moved 75 yards from the house, it could be just some inexplicable normal reason but that just seems strange to me i don't know when you've got the ladder the car the, the cutting off the wire. lines and shit yeah like there's there's a lot of things the threat of the fire is too much coincidence the telephone call the bang on the roof yeah it's too much coincidences man it's if it was just two or even three things maybe we could be really skeptical and overlook it but these six or seven thousand things together makes it very suspicious and hard to overlook yeah i think Someone, it was arson, I think. I mean, some dude said he saw them throwing fireballs at the house. Assuming he's not chatting shit, mm. that is, come on, that's that's how the fire started. And it goes in line with what the lady Jenny's heard, like, boom on the roof and then things rolling down. And then Jenny also finding the curtains and the lights weren't done when she got the phone call, which is something the kids would normally do before they went to bed. Leads you to believe... They were out getting the cow, and that's when they were snatched up. So there's a lot of logical reasons as to why they weren't in the house as well. I do know, though, if the children were kept in America, were they not, like, fighting, if not physically, but mentally, or 
verbally like hell to want to get back to their family and did people hold them captive did they treat them well did they take them to another country i don't know i feel like if the children lived like they didn't take the children away and execute them if they lived one day they'd have found their way back home maybe i don't know mm. which leads me to believe maybe they they didn't die in the fire but maybe they died somewhere else somehow it's yeah i mean it's it, it it's a mystery what we don't know we possibly may never know the kind no, of outcome of this. It was it was a cold case when it started, especially since how late the fire department got there. But um, it's more of a cold case now. Like there ain't no way anyone's figuring this out. That's an insane mystery, right? That is. It's like it is like a horror movie. Yeah. Like all the things that happen are so theatrical and dramatic, like crank calls or wrong calls and things hitting the roof that's like shit out of a horror movie people saying i'm gonna your house gonna burn down your children gonna die all of that stuff combined is it's just too much to be a coincidence well there you go that's that that is our longest ever mystery yeah that was an intense mystery and goddamn Mad respect to the family for continuing their search for like their entire life, basically. You would, man. You would, unless That's you knew there were remains. You would. Yeah, I got, I got, I got to hand it to them. Um, and I got to hand it to you and your impressions of uh, all the all the people you did. I like the impressions. Keep the impressions coming. I will, man. I like the impressions. I'll, I'll continue. I don't know what I'm gonna do next time, but I'll find a mystery for us to do next time. Yeah, uh, people who are listening, I hope you're enjoying the mysteries. And um, I tell you what, I should promote some way of communicating. Like, yeah, I'm really say, like, bad send in stuff, a theory or send in a theory or that's, something. I mean, that's yeah, fantastic idea. If there's a mystery I, that you want us to cover, or you've got an opinion or a theory on a mystery, yeah, because I love you, Rich, <laughs> and I love I really love me, but we're a bit dumb. So if there's anyone out there who's a bit smart, I've got some ideas that we've not thought of. Like, what could have happened? Let us know. I mean, I would love people to send mysteries that they want us to um, yeah. read. Uh, Brian, on rap, would that be great? I mean, even if they want to write them for us to read, great. It would be great fun. Um, so, yeah, uh, probably the best way to contact us, if you tweet me at Raz, which is R-A-Z, tweets stuff. So that's at Raz tweets stuff. Um, and you can, message, you can message me on there. Um, uh, we need to we need to get profession like create a uh, WTF mystery uh, Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and man, you can man that Twitter. Twitter's a whole thing. Uh, I'll man it, woman it, boy and child it. I'll do it. Um, but yeah, I think that's a wrap for today's podcast, Joe. Yeah, buddy. Catch you later, Raz. <laughs> Catch you later, listeners. <laughs> <laughs>